Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. On this broadcast, we begin a series of lessons on God, the Holy Ghost. This is the blessed third person of the Trinity, referred to also as the Holy Spirit, but just as properly the Holy Ghost, as the Ghost is the spirit of a dead person that continues to exist, and the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sin, was buried and rose from the dead, and therefore it is quite proper to speak of the Holy Ghost as well as the Holy Spirit. One should never forget that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are one and the same person, and never make the irreverent distinction that some of the charismatics make between the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost as being two separate entities. Of course, they're not. These series of lessons come under the study of theology as pneumatology. Pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. And the personality of the Holy Spirit is the first thing we need to take up a discussion upon and deal with all the verses that deal with this very important matter, which come into well over 50 verses. As we've said from time to time in these broadcasts, the purpose of the theological seminar of the year is to bring to the student and teacher the Word of God what the Bible says about itself, and not, not merely what it is presumed to teach. The modern uh, professor of religion in America today, even the modern fundamentalist, is very often a cultist who is only interested in telling you what he thinks the Bible teaches. We're not concerned at all what the Bible teaches. You can make it teach anything. Uh, Karl Marx made it teach communism from Acts chapter 4. Judd Rutherford taught it make annihilation of the soul from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And the Seventh-day Adventists made it teach church on Friday and Saturday from Revelation chapter 22. You can make the Bible teach anything. However, you cannot make it teach a lie unless you alter what it says. So in these broadcasts, our main concern is not what somebody thinks it teaches, but what it says. It says what it says. We have one uh, professor in America today who's trying to make some money selling books, and his gimmick is that he is at last, after 25 years of batting his brains out, trying to change the Word of God, has developed an interlinear little Greek thing where you can avail yourself of all the best helps, ho-ho, and thereby develop your own translation of the Word of God and make your own translation your own commentary. But if this fellow recommends anarchy, and of course he's a fundamentalist, all the anarchists are fundamentalists these days, now we dispense with this uh, hogwash for what it is and concern ourselves what the Bible says. We don't need any scholarly helps at all to find what it says. After all, it says what it says. In this series of lessons, we deal with pneumatology, the personality and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father and by the Son to indwell and guide the believers. Jesus Christ spoke of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father. He also spoke of the Holy Spirit as his own gift of himself in the believer. And many people who profess to believe in the Holy Ghost, actually they believe in God the Father, God the Son, and they believe the Holy Ghost only as a servant or errand boy, or as a fruit giver to give them goose pimples, or make them hostile to Shandai, Undai, Bowtie, or go into some sort of a trance. But this is false. The Holy Ghost is equal to and in no way inferior to God the Father and God the Son. Others reduce the Holy Spirit to an inanimate force such as electricity, which is very powerful but completely devoid of being a living person, much less God. In this lesson, we're going to show from the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an influence. And in our next series of lessons, we're going to talk about his deity. Uh, the Bible believer believes the Holy Ghost is a living person, for he can be approached or shunned, he can be trusted or doubted, he can be loved or hated, he can be adored or insulted, he can be grieved, and he can be lied to. 
Now, the doctrine of the Holy Ghost is very important. He, he is a living person. If he is a living person, the Holy God equal to the Father and the Son, then he ought to be worshipped as they are. Theoretically, this is done in the doxology and the glory of Patry. That is, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's name is linked with the Father and the Son in the benediction baptismal formula. We read in Matthew chapter 28, it's not the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, nor is it the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Ghost, but the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is the Lord. God the Father is Lord, God the Son is Lord, God the Holy Ghost is Lord. The name Jesus is not the name of the Holy Spirit. The name Jesus is not the name of the Father. The name Jehovah is not the name of the Son. This uh, affords the two greatest branches of cults or heretical sects in America to operate, one under the false assumption that since they're not the same, that therefore they're two different gods, one inferior to the other. This is called Arianism. The other heretical cult which operates in the charismatic groups is the heretical teaching that since Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father, that the Father's name is Jesus, which of course is nonsense. Jesus Christ, the name of a man that got tired and wept and slept and bled and died. God the Father does not weep, nor does he sleep, nor does he die. He may speak uh, metamorphically, metamorphically or anthropologically back in the Old Testament, speaking of these things in language a man could understand, but God is a spirit. Therefore, we have the two great uh, ranking cults of her heretics in America, the first teaching that one God created a lesser God, this is Russellism, or no Hellerism. And the other brand of heretics are the Jesus-only people that are teaching that since Jesus Christ was the Father manifest in the flesh, you can make no distinction. Now, both these heretical lives, of course, are anti to the Word of God and contrary to the Word of God, and they are derived at by trying to make the Bible teach something it doesn't say. If the Holy Spirit is merely an influence or a power, we would refer to him as an it, which is a heathen concept, and the only time the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as it is referring to his work. Wherever the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a person, it always uses the term he. Now, it's proper to speak of the Holy Spirit as it in regards to his work or his influence. But after all, we must remember the Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person who has an influence, which is an entirely different thing. There's a difference between an influence or a pressure and a person who is putting on pressure. The Holy Spirit is a person, and if he is a person, then we must get to know him more intimately and more personally. The Bible uses personal pronouns in referring to the Holy Spirit. For example, in John 15:26, Jesus Christ said, When the Comforter is come, he shall testify of me. In John 16:18, he said, And when he is come, he will reprove the world. In John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you and lead you into all truth. In John 16, 14, we read, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. In the Greek language, the pronoun for spirit, pneumatos, is ordinarily in the neuter gender, which means it's perfectly all right to speak of the Holy Spirit as it in such passages as the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. When it's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit, we could use the neuter and be properly correct. However, when referring to the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a hymn. In the past in John chapter 16, 12 times we find the word he used by the Holy Spirit himself. One notable exception is Romans 8, 16, 
And Romans 8, 26, where we read, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, and the godless depraved new translations, which are always trying to correct God and fix things up. This has been wrongly translated as himself. You'll find this wrong translation, the RSV, and the new ASV, and the ASV under the apostate Bibles. I think they're smart enough to correct God, and because these fundamental apostates, like the new ASV and the ASV, think they're smarter than God and correct God, they believe that you should never use the term it in referring to the Spirit, and therefore translated itself as himself in the pastors, which of course uh, has no authority for doing except the foolishness going on in their own educated beings. It is not a mistake, and when you read about this being an unfortunate mistake in the King James Bible, you're reading uh, what is the uh, truth of the matter to be an unfortunate mistake in the egotistical nut who thought he was smarter than God and could change it. The work of the Holy Spirit is neuter, and the word for spirit itself is neuter. I'm referring to the spirit itself as simply spirit, pneumatos. Neuter is perfectly correct. When speaking, however, of the blessed third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost, then, of course, he is correct. The Holy Spirit is a person, for he possesses certain personal characteristics. For example... The Holy Spirit is said to have power, capacity for love, capacity for grief, intelligence, knowledge, and willpower. He can be resisted, he can be lied to, he can be grieved. Now, for these salient points, one should get paper and pencil and write the verses down. There's nothing that will clear up the air like finding out what the Bible actually has to say and not simply believing because a preacher quotes scripture, he's telling anything, let alone telling the truth. Now, someone has properly said you can make the Bible teach anything. A fellow can quote the Bible to prove a lie. As a matter of fact, all lies are usually provable by Scripture, just depending upon which lie you want to prove. If you want to prove it's all right to drink wine, then you run around and quote four or five verses, one of the Hebrew and Greek, and get drunk. If you want to prove that it's all right to kill somebody, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you want to prove it's all right to sin and carry on the house of God, you go to Amos chapter 4. And if you want to steal, there's a good verse in Job chapter 14. After all, what the scriptures say is the first thing, and then what they say in the context in which they appear is the second thing. So at this point, one should take pen and paper or pencil and paper and write down these references and very carefully check them and check them for yourself. Don't take my word for it. After all, a man can, suppose a man wants to prove some heresy like baptismal regeneration. All the con man has to do is take eight verses from the New Testament and put them together in such a way to make you think that they teach baptismal regeneration, which they don't. So I'm getting ready to give you some verses here that show the person of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is a person. The proper thing to do would be to take down these references and open your Bible and check these references and see what these references say in the context in which they appear. A man can teach any kind of a falsehood he wishes from the Word of God by the simple expediency of one of three methods. One, putting words in the verse that aren't there. Two, by taking words out that are there. Or three, by taking the verse out of the context in which it appears. For example, the way we know that all the new Bibles printed since 1800 are phony balonies and worse than blasphemy is by the fact they subtract more than 500 words from the Word of God. The way we know that a sect or a cult or a heretic is always wrong in what they teach is by the how they take a verse out of the context in which it appears. The first sin on this earth was a woman subtracting from the Word of God. 
The first sin committed on this earth was not taking forbidden fruit. The first sin committed on this earth by a human being was not usurping the authority of God. The first sin committed on this earth was not adultery, rape, or murder. The first sin committed on this earth by the devil was questioning the word of God. And the first sin committed on this earth by a human being was subtracting from the word of God. Eve omitted the word freely when she quoted God's orders from Genesis 2. Therefore, the heretic can always be spotted by his subtractions or additions of the Word of God. Now, the thing you need to do is get out paper and pencil and write down these references, and then at your leisure, check them out, and see if I'm telling the truth. I mean, how many of you people heard a fellow get on the radio and say he did belief in his baptized should be saved? You know what some of you people thought? You actually thought that man quoted a verse of Scripture. That man didn't quote a verse of Scripture. That man omitted eight words from that verse, and you didn't even check to see what words were omitted. Did you ever hear a fellow get on the radio and say, Peace on earth, goodwill to men? That fellow didn't quote any verse of Scripture. There isn't a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. I omitted six words from that verse, and you never even checked it, and some of you folks wouldn't know where to check it to see if I omitted the words or not. Now, that's why in the Theological Seminar of the Air, we are teaching the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and asking that you check it out for yourself and see if anybody's lying. Now, our, our purpose here is to show you what the Bible says about itself and what a man thinks it says. Really, we could care less. Did you ever hear a fellow say, Baptism doth also now save us? That isn't a verse of Scripture. There isn't a verse of Scripture anywhere in the Bible that says, Baptism doth also now save us. Not one verse. That's only a fifth of that verse. All right, now, number one, the Holy Spirit has willpower. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Now, I'll repeat the verse again at the end so you can write them down. But all these work at that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. That is, the Holy Spirit makes the decision. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Next, the Holy Ghost has intelligence. In Nehemiah 9, 20, we read, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them. A power influence does not have knowledge with which to teach. But the Holy Spirit is the one that searches the hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession. The Holy Spirit searches and has the ability to know things. That is Nehemiah 9.20, Romans 8.27. Again, the Holy Spirit has knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 2.10-12, we read, what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost has knowledge and knows things. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 12. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is a person. The Holy Spirit has power. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. The Holy Ghost powerfully changed Simon Peter from a custom commercial fisherman into a spirit-filled preacher. Acts 1, verse 8. The Holy Ghost has a capacity for love. We read in Romans chapter 15, 30 about the love of the Spirit. 
and the love of God being shed abroad by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Romans 15, verse 30. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we read, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. That will be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. If you'll turn your Bible, Acts chapter 5, and read the first six verses, you'll find in Acts chapter 5 that Simon Peter said about Ananias and his wife, uh, Why have you agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? You've not lied to men, but you've lied unto God. There's a bunch of people putting uh, God to the test and trying to tempt the Lord and lying to God, and the God they're lying to is not Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Ghost. So that makes three gods. No, sir. One God in three persons. Now, we don't have time today's broadcast to go back and review our initial broadcast from months and months ago on the Trinity. But if those of you who are taking the studies in the St. Theological Seminar will contact uh, the Pensacola Bible Institute here in Pensacola, our telephone 4778812 in Pensacola, you may obtain a broadcast for your own personal use if you'd like to purchase them on the Trinity. The discussion of the Trinity took up the first seven broadcasts in the series when we discussed the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost in the Trinity. And we said God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We weren't referring to God the Father on top and another God a little bit lower, God the Son, another God the Holy Spirit a little bit lower. We were referring to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God in three persons. Three in one, one in three, and the one in the middle died for me. The Holy Spirit is a person because he thinks, feels, purposes, knows, wills, teaches, loves, and grieves. The Spirit is certainly not merely an influence, for he has abilities of intelligence and emotions which are foreign to inanimate forces or objects. Let us never doubt or insult the Holy Spirit. Let us continually approach him with faith, love, and adoration, and as Paul says, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now again, the Holy Spirit does things that only a person can do. I'm going to list eight or nine of these things right away, possibly ten of them. First of all, the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit can cry out. The Holy Spirit can intercede. The Holy Spirit can testify. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit leads and directs. The Holy Spirit commands. The Holy Spirit calls men to work and gives them tasks. And the Holy Spirit proceeds on the mission to which he is sent. Now, those are ten items which plainly tell us the Holy Spirit is not merely an influence, but a real person. I'll go through them again. This time we'll carefully mark down the scriptures for each statement. First of all, the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. There is no modern IBM machine that can do this. There is no IBM computer, no matter how intelligent, that can find out anything about the Word of God that a man can't find out through prayer and reading it. As a matter of fact, there is an IBM computer in the world that can even figure out the new birth. There is nothing man that ever made that can ever figure the thing out. There isn't any way to do it. If you have the most gigantic computer that ever lived, there isn't any way that computer at all could identify the Leviathan of Job chapter 40 and 41. It would be absolutely impossible. 
There isn't any chance at all that that IBM computer could tell you what Adam and Eve ate. The most brilliant machine ever invented by the most brilliant man with all the electronic superforce of nature at their disposal, with the most brilliant man with IQs of 150 to 180 combined, making the most excruciating, intricate machine they possibly could devise, couldn't figure out anything about the Word of God one way or another. For the natural man receiveth not the thing of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit can speak. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, we read, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As a matter of fact, that expression occurs seven times in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit can cry out. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, Because your sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit then is a person. The Holy Spirit intercedes. In Romans 8.26 we read, The Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In speaking of his work here as intercession, as an intercessor, the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit inside the Christian, interceding for the Christian, and translating the Christian's prayer into the proper terms of supplication before God. Thank God we not only have somebody praying for us in heaven who knows how to pray, but in our present condition on this earth, when we don't know how to pray, we have in this earthen vessel a person who can make intercession according to the will of God, and he makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, you often find these foolish, uh, psychotic people uh, think it because they blabber in some tongue they can't understand, that's the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's nonsense. The Holy Spirit makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. So if you're uttering something you think is that verse, you're obviously a liar, because when the Holy Spirit makes intercession, brother, it can't be uttered. Do you understand that? Read the passage. Now, don't get mad with me. Read the passage, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Further, the Holy Spirit testifies. In John 15, 26, Christ said, When the Comforter has come, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit teaches. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, When the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, shall come, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. This ability is also mentioned in John 16, 12 and Nehemiah 9, 20. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is a teacher who has knowledge, stores up knowledge, reveals knowledge, passes on knowledge, confirms knowledge, and calls knowledge back to your remembrance after you have forgotten it. Every Christian has in with him an IBM computer machine that gives him recall memory at the right time, can recall to him what God has said if the Christian has spent time in finding it out. Now, if you consider it a waste of time to absorb yourself with God's Word, and if you consider it a waste of time to study God's Word, if all you did was sit around and listen to the radio and listen to tapes and thought you were smart because you picked up some stuff, you're in trouble. But if you took time out to search for wisdom like hidden gold and search for truth like diamonds and rubies like Solomon told you to, and have exposed yourself to the Word of God and have spent time hunting and digging for it more than hid treasure, which 99% of you never have or ever will, 
then the Holy Spirit has a resource, has a treasury from which he can withdraw, a banking account from which he can draw and call all things to your remembrance what God has said, so at the right time you may have all sufficiency in all things and may abound every good work. This explains why 90% of the Christians in America will never amount to anything one way or another as children of God. They will not spend time in the Word of God. You can drive and do it with a bulldoze and a bullwhip, but they will not do it. And when they get in trouble, they can't recall the Scripture because they haven't been exposed to it. They can't give the plan of salvation because they don't remember the verses. And yet the Holy Spirit was sent to teach you and call these things to your remembrance. That isn't all. The Holy Spirit leads and directs. In Romans 8:14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit commands. In Acts 16, verse 6 to 7, we read that Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, and the Spirit suffered them not. Here are two missionaries starting out on a missionary trip, and the Holy Spirit says, Don't go over here. Go over here. The Holy Spirit forbids them to go to one place and tells them to go to the other place. This is God the Holy Spirit leading and guiding, leading and directing, and commanding. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. This is the work of a person. The Holy Spirit calls men to work and gives them certain tasks. For example, in Acts 13, verse 2, we read the Holy Ghost said, quote, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Not Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost. Not God the Father, the Holy Ghost. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul said, The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost then proceeds in the mission to which he is sent. John 15, 26. Christ said, The Holy Spirit I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, and he shall testify of me. Now, we'll talk about this morning, next broadcast, when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit being assigned a definite office and the Holy Spirit's emotions in his work, and we shall review some of the broadcast material we've had today. After all, this is a tremendous subject to cover, the work of the third person, the Godhead. Our next broadcast, we're going to talk further uh, in a, on, a, on the broadcast about the Holy Spirit commanding, the Holy Spirit calling men to work and giving them tasks, the Holy Spirit proceeding on the mission to which he is sent, and the Holy Spirit being assigned a definite office called the Comforter. And then, in two, we're going to talk in our further pneumatology about the Holy Spirit and his emotions. Now, for a few minutes today's broadcast, I'm going to do something which I rarely do. I want to refer to you to our uh, work on this nationwide broadcast, being broadcast on several stations in several states. And I want to inform my listening audience, these broadcasts, are not uh, broadcasts that are paid for by faith offerings to the broadcast. We never make any plea for money in these broadcasts, never offer any gift packages, never ask for money. We ask for prayer. These broadcasts are brought to you and sponsored by interested Christians in your area. Interested churches and pastors and Christians in your area who want these broadcasts on the air may obtain them, and obtain them to put them on any station in the country that they're willing to pay for. So if you know anybody who wants to serve as a broadcast, you can contact uh, the Pensacola Bible Institute in Pensacola, Florida, about these matters. Or if you'd like to sponsor some yourself, why, you may uh, contact them for the work or the person who brings you this broadcast. This broadcast, no matter where you're receiving it from, anywhere in the United States or outside the United States, is being paid for by Christians 
or an interested Christian who is interested in the propagation of the pure, unadulterated Word of God. We trust the broadcast has been a blessing to you, and you'll be with us next week at the same time when we continue our studies in pneumatology. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.